Our scripture today comes to us from 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 8. It might say something different in your bulletin. Listen now for a word from God. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the truth. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Good and loving God, we do thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for a few moments set aside to wonder on it and to dwell here. God, I pray whatever word, whatever wisdom, whatever truth we would receive this morning would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. So by the time Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy, the young pastor had been ministering to the Ephesian church for about four years. And it's been almost that long since Timothy had received his first letter from Paul. Timothy had been a student of Paul and actually left home with the apostle more than a decade earlier. Since then, Timothy had ministered alongside Paul for both the second and third missionary journeys that he took in places like Philippi and Corinth. Timothy wasn't unfamiliar to the Ephesians when he settled in Ephesus to minister, having served there alongside Paul for a period of close to about three years on the third missionary journey. I've heard a lot of ministers say that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, this young pastor who's just getting started, and he's saying all of this to give him strength and encouragement and to make sure the true path is kept in his absence. And when these pastors do that, when they say that this is what Paul's writing about, I think they completely miss the emotion of this letter. Paul's writing to Timothy from a dark and damp Roman prison cell just before he's beheaded in AD 67. And Paul knows he's about to die. The Roman Emperor Nero has been slowly descending into a kind of madness, 
I heard a scholar say. And he's been doing this since his ascent to the throne in about AD 54, so 13 years. He's slowly been deteriorating. But the madness kind of speeds up in his mind after the great fire of Rome in AD 64 that burned half the city. With the residents of Rome and an uproar, Christians became a convenient target for Nero, who used believers as scapegoats for his own administration's lack of preparation. It's a big surprise, isn't it? Political leaders not taking responsibility for their own actions. Hmm. Paul was one of those that was caught up in this persecution of Christians in Rome, and again, he would be beheaded by Roman officials soon after writing this letter. And so he's writing, he knows that all of this is coming. He knows, too, that this is the way of Christ, isn't it? To die for your beliefs. He knows it's the way he chose. It's what he practiced. It's what he preached. But not on this scale. Not on this level. Not with the stakes this high. And so, yes, he is reaching out to deliver some parting words of encouragement to a young pastor, an old friend. But he's also asking for help. He asks for Timothy's presence later on in the letter if you keep reading. And it's very clear that Paul is sad. Paul is lonely. He's afraid. And he's desperate at points in this letter. And all of that tells me that Paul is just human. It's like me. It's like you. He's vulnerable sometimes. And here at the conclusion of the letter, Paul is almost offering himself his own affirmation and encouragement, likely due to that loneliness. He's telling himself, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think in all of this, he just wants to be seen. He just wants to be recognized. In all this fear and emotion, Paul also still understands that Timothy has some trials coming up. He knows that the ministry will only become more difficult for Timothy. And indeed, at some point after this letter, Timothy will be imprisoned for his faith as well. Paul knew Timothy's task of preaching the truth in a world that almost exclusively sells cheap myths would be an often thankless and difficult task. And though hardship would come, Paul wanted Timothy to continue in those things that he had learned, drawing on the rich heritage of faith and truth that had been passed down to the young pastor, not just from Paul, but as Paul mentions, also from Timothy's mother and grandmother. This truth that Timothy inherited from them, Paul saw, even all the way at the end, might be threatened by a world that's prone to myths. Now, it shouldn't surprise any of us in here that, um, you know, we still deal in myths of certain kinds as a society. And I'm not necessarily talking about the old stories we like to tell of, say, Adam and Eve or 
Samson or Noah's Ark. I mean things like this list that I drew from BuzzFeed, if you don't mind me. These are 14 common myths that are often believed, and I didn't have a lot of time to like look up whether these were actually myths, so feel free to call me out if, if any of these are wrong, but I, I, don't, I don't think they are. Uh, it's a common myth that dogs see only in black and white. I didn't know that. They're, uh, this study says they're only red-green colorblind, actually, so they do see some color, just not as much as humans. Um, also, popping your knuckles is not as harmful as people claim. They say it causes arthritis, and I read a report that maybe that's not true. Um, it's a myth that there's a certain dye in pool water that detects urine if you're in there. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't write the list. I just curated it, okay? Um, the, the taste zones on the human tongue, those aren't really a thing, I guess. It's just a, just a myth. <laughs> um, it's not true that we only use 10% of our brain. Actually, I read that we're using almost every part of our brain all the time. Uh, swallowed gum does not remain in your stomach for seven years. And swallowing a watermelon seed, mom, if you're listening, will not grow a watermelon in my belly. <laughs> Shaving doesn't make your hair grow back thicker. Um, what else? Uh, you don't swallow eight spiders a year in your sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, it's a myth that you shouldn't go swimming shortly after eating. All the parents and guardians out there, thank you. Um, a goldfish remembers more than a few seconds slash minutes. It's able to remember things from months prior. That's neat. Uh, coffee does not stunt your growth. That's a myth. And then finally, uh, it's a myth that dogs have cleaner mouths than humans. If you needed to know that, you could have just come over and just watched my dogs for two minutes, and you would know that. <laughs> These are silly myths for the most part, but we know that there are some that are much, much more insidious. There's an old Calvin and Hobbes cartoon where the boy and the tiger have just built a snowman when Hobbes, the tiger, remarks, the snowman doesn't look very happy. And Calvin responds, he's not. He knows it's just a matter of time before he melts. The sun ignores his existence. And the snowman feels his life is meaningless. And Hobbes asks, is it? And Calvin answers, actually, no. He's about to buy a big screen TV. I heard someone say one time that the easiest way to waste life is to think that it's so ordinary and boring that you might as well just remain comfortable. If you're ordinary and nothing means anything, then you're off the hook for making a difference. If you're just ordinary and nobody, then it's up to all the important people to go and change the world. And we often forget when we follow this myth that it was ordinary, uneducated, smelly fishermen, and then women that were considered no more than an asset to most people. It was these people that Jesus invited 
to turn the world back to God. Jesus spent very little time with people society considered important. And he spent most of his time helping ordinary people see the powerful importance of their lives. We're often sold the myth that we're just ordinary. The myth that we're somehow insignificant in the grand scheme of things that we really don't mean or matter much at all. There are other myths we buy and sell as well. If I could just get this raise or if I could just get that promotion, then I would fill in the blank. If I could just get that project gone, then I could maybe whatever. If that person would give me the time of day, then I could show them if I didn't have this or if they would just, if I could look like, or maybe this one, you should drop everything that you're doing right now and just follow your dreams. It's the only way you'll be happy. The myth that you need more the myth that nothing good ever happens to you, the myth that your past somehow prevents you from future happiness, or maybe these. I don't really belong at this church. I don't really fit in anywhere. If I can just get this prayer right, then maybe God will finally give me what I need. These are all myths. And it's not that some of them aren't useful some of the time, but when we go following them to the end, we often find dead ends, don't we? We tell ourselves as a church, we tell ourselves myths all the time too, don't we? Well, if that pastor of ours would just preach better sermons. If we just had more and better technology to fill up this old sanctuary. We just had a different kind of worship service that featured smoke machines and electric guitar solos. We just had more young people filling our pews. We just had enough money to get that roof fixed, to get the sanctuary relamped, carpet cleaned, if we had, then maybe, and on and on and on. And sometimes we believe them, don't we? As a remedy to some of these pitfalls and to believing in some myth that will save us, Paul is encouraging Timothy to return to the truth always. Preach the truth. Over and over again, he tells Timothy this, and he reminds him it's the truth that's passed on to him by his mother and his grandmother, and then Paul. But I always wonder at this point, what does Paul mean when he says truth? There are a lot of pastors that will insert here their own theology for whatever they think Paul means. They'll say that Paul means to tell people they're going to hell if they don't look, talk, love, or act a certain way. They'll tell people that he means that women shouldn't speak in church. 
They'll tell people that he means that they need to obey the government no matter what is happening. They'll tell people he means, and then what they do is they insert their own myths and their own theologies for whatever they think Paul was saying. But the truth for Paul isn't necessarily all these rules and these laws and these codes. It's not what he's asking Timothy to remember. For Paul, the truth that he wants Timothy to continue preaching, to always, always come back to, is Christ crucified. And he says as much in Corinthians, talks about what the truth is. And Timothy actually would have been around to hear this and maybe even helped compose some of the letter. But Paul says in Corinthians, he says, we preach Christ crucified. For the foolishness of God is wiser than humankind. And the weakness of God is stronger than humankind. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, and not many were powerful. Not many of you were noble at birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If you heard any part of my Christmas Eve sermon, I tried to show the ways in which the language and titles that developed for Jesus were in fact a protest and a kind of subversive act against an empire who claimed that Caesar was God, who claimed that Caesar was the Prince of Peace, who claimed that Caesar was King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who wipes away all our sins, the bringer of salvation to the world. And this bringer of salvation by wielding a monopoly of violence, brutalized whoever was disobedient or inconvenient to his policies, missions, and goals. And what Paul means by truth then about preaching Christ crucified is this, you are loved and you are seen and you are created by a power higher than any tyrant who dares call himself God and still murders the innocent. What Paul means is that just because you aren't in right relationship with the emperor and the world that he has formed in his own image does not mean you aren't in right relationship with a loving, incarnate God. If Caesar is against you, Paul says, and maybe God is still for you. We can get pulled into believing these myths about ourselves, especially at this time of year where we are resolving to do what we think we need to do and pledging to become the version of ourselves we think we need to become. But just know that there are a lot of myths out there. There are a lot of people that would tell you to look a certain way, to be a certain way, to love a certain way. And they're just myths. 
but the truth. The truth that we can always, always, always come back to is the thing that Paul leaves Timothy as he prepares to die. And it might be the most important thing we can keep in mind. And that is, you are loved. And you are seen. And you are valued and significant in the eyes of a loving God. That's the only thing that Paul wants Timothy to continue to go and preach. It's the only thing those mothers and those grandmothers passed down to him. And it might be some 2,000 years later, the only thing that we need to remain holding tight to. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for the truth. Thank you for sending your son to reveal it to us. God, I pray we would keep that in our heart no matter what myths are being thrown our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.